Welcome. This is Victoria Schneps, and I'm delighted to be featuring a power woman today, a power woman of great magnitude, and I am honored and pleased and proud to bring to all of you the remarkable Joan London. Welcome. Oh, it's so great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I heard they changed your name from London to London. <laughs> is that true? They did. I was born um, Joan Blunden. My dad was a doctor. He was a cancer surgeon. Oh, and my. he was a cancer surgeon, but he was also a private pilot uh, enthusiast. And when I was about almost 13 years old, he crashed coming back from uh, speaking at a cancer convention in Southern California. He was coming back up to Northern California where I was born and raised in Sacramento and he crashed and was killed. And he oh. was only 51 years old. But oh. I remember as a little girl, we would go out and we would like go to a restaurant and you know they take your name and then they call you. And sometimes they would say, Dr. Blunder, Dr. Blunder. And it would just annoy him so much because a doctor can't be a blunder. So when, <laughs> I so when I moved to New York to become a newscaster in New York City at WABC, they said, you know, when you write Blunden, it's very easy to, it, it kind of can look like blunder. I think we should change your name. And I couldn't argue with them because I had heard it happen so many times. Right. So I said, okay. And it's like, so what are you going to change it to? And one of the girls, Gloria Rojas, I don't know if you remember her. Oh, she said, I think you should change it to Cartwright. I said, why Cartwright? She said, well, because we all watch the Ponderosa and the Cartwrights are from California. I was like, that's a little bizarre, Gloria. And finally, Doug Johnson, another you know, long time reporter there. I was being sent out on my first story and I walked into the, the executive's office and said, you guys, I'm just got sent on a story. Like, what about my name? And Doug Johnson said, why don't you just drop the B and be London instead of Blunden. That's going to be pretty easy for you. Everyone remembers the city London. And there was this big star at the time, Julie London. And yes. so she, I said, okay, done. And I became Joan London. And then I had to call my mom. Yes. I was going to ask you that. And I had to tell my mom, Hey mom, I'm going to be really famous back here, but not with your name. But she remembered so well, all those times that that mistake had been made blunder instead of Blunden. And, you know, basically the executive said the New York television critics are so, they can really be crass and mean and you don't want to give them anything to use. So, mm -hmm. but it was a problem every time I took my, my clothes to the cleaners, I never would, I go in and they'd say your name, please. Uh, I must've looked like an idiot. Like I didn't know whether I left it under Blunden or London. <laughs> well, I have that because I've had a submarriages. So I have schneps. Uh, I Who am I today is my question. Often absolutely. When it's I like relate. I fly so much, Vicki, you know, I mean, not now, of course, but normally I give about 40 speeches a year. So I'm on an airplane almost every single week and every single airline sees me differently because my married name is Konigsberg. And it's on my driver's license and it's on my passport because I want to be able to travel with my children and have my last name. But yes. every airline sees me different. Some of them call me, my last name is London-Konigsberg. Others, London's my middle name. And Konigs, so I always have to like look in my, thank God we are on iPhones these days where you can just like scroll through and say, who am I on this right. airline? <laughs> Welcome to my world. But talking about the name, tell me about your growing up years. Who had the biggest impact on you, do you think, looking back? I would be hard pressed to say whether it was my mom or my dad, because my dad, you know, everywhere we would go, 
I mean, he was a surgeon and a cancer surgeon. He started out when I was little, he was a, what was called then a general practitioner. He delivered babies. And yes. I mean, I have people who reach out to me on Facebook and say, your dad delivered me. Oh, it's really, it's crazy. Yeah. But then he did became, he decided he was just going to be a surgeon because that's really where his real talent and his real skill was. And everywhere we would go, I can remember walk, walking into a restaurant or just walking down the street, people would stop him because I was in a little town outside of Sacramento and they would embrace him and they oh. would say, thank you for saving my wife's life or saving my life. And they would get down and kind of be like eye to eye with me. And they'd say, young lady, do you know how important your daddy is to oh. our family? And you know, that made me always want to grow up and be a doctor. And I always thought I was going to do that. But then the summer before I was going away to college, I was able to get a, a job in a hospital that my dad had helped to build and found and had been chief of surgery at the time of his death. And I worked in emergency and x-ray and I saw a lot of trauma. And yeah. I came to understand very quickly that scalpels and needles were not gonna be part of my future. Wow. So I was like, okay. I guess my major is psychology, <laughs> but interestingly, I probably used that psychology education in interviewing people, but he also, my dad was, he had been born in Australia. He was Australian. My grandparents were Australian and New Zealand. They happened to come here. What was the, what was the uh, migration? Well, they had then moved to China. They were like missionaries really. And then came to Southern California, mainly because my dad's sister had had type one diabetes and they kind of moved for the modern medicine and all of that. So then my dad, uh, they went to school. My old, his older sister was the first woman to graduate with a medical degree from Loma Linda University. Oh. And I'll tell you something, Vicki, I went and gave the commencement speech yes. to the graduating class from Loma Linda Medical School a couple of years ago. And it was on the 75th anniversary of my dad graduating and getting his degree there. Oh my and I God. learned a lot. First of all, it was like the most important assignment to me ever in my life. And I learned a lot by studying up about like, whenever I'm going to go do a speech, I study about the organization or in this case, the school. And when they graduate, they really take an oath, not just to become a doctor, but to be of service. Yes. And, they, and they are really making a pact that in their opening years of going out into the world, that they will not necessarily be missionaries, but live a life of caring for others, not with the kind of idea today, I'm going to go to medical so, school so I can make like a lot of money. Oh, the golden and, age of medicine is over. Yeah, was yeah. And so by learning about the atmosphere in which he grew up mm. and where he got his degree, helped me understand the man that he was. And he was somebody who used to say to me, go out, see the world, find out how other people live, learn about other people. And in that you will find where you're going to make your mark on this world, where you're gonna have, where you're gonna find how you can be of service during your time on this earth. Now, on the other hand, my mom was like, everyone knew her as Glitzy Glatty and Glitzy Glady was like the eternal optimist. It was like growing up with my own positive goo. And she was, some, a friend of hers once described her as a shooting star. They said, your mother's happiness and love for life is so effusive that when, after she's been with you in a room and she leaves the room, it's almost like you can still feel that. Oh. I, I thought that was such an amazing description. And she was, she was the kind that 
she always used to say, sweetie, always have plans, like plan a party, plan something. Have how to, did you have to, find an untimely death? How'd she oh, I know. You know what? She was only, my dad was 51 when he died. My mom was only 41. Yes. You know, you don't think about that when you're a little kid, but when you grow up, all of a sudden you realize, wow, she was only 41. And I have to tell you, I think watching my mom, it taught me, without her actually telling me, it taught me how to face adversity and retain my resilience. Yes. And, yeah. how, and how to be able to, through you know tough times, be able to kind of dig down in and find the light and walk, walk through and, and be able to deal with challenges in life. My mom, I don't know if she ever realized that I, she really taught me that, but she did. But my, my mom always used to say, I think you were vaccinated with your father's gypsy blood. Cause as soon as I was 16, I wanted to go see the world. Oh. My dad, remember my dad was a pilot. I think I told you that he yes. was in our private plane, but we would fly to Mexico like regularly, you know? So I already had that sense. And I graduated from high school when I was only 16. Because mm. I skipped a couple grades and my mom saw all these colleges I was applying to UCLA, Berkeley, Stanford. And this was the 1960s. Yes. And she thought, I'm not sending this kid away to one of these college campuses where all they're all burning their bras and free love. <laughs> and so she, us, right? <laughs> she saw in the back of Sunset Magazine. Remember that magazine? Yes. Well, if you remember back in the back, there were all these little ads, ton, like pages and pages of ads. She saw an ad for World Campus Afloat. It's, oh, known, yes. it's, known, it's known today as Semester at Sea. She okay. saw this little ad and she wrote away. She got the information. She filled out the application to this oh, college. Wow. Took my essay from Stanford, you know, that I, everything I had done, got the grade sent and came to me when the acceptance letter came and said, what you are going to do for your freshman year of college. This is like in August, like I'm ready to like go off to UCLA or Stanford. Oh, she never told you she's done this. She just did this and she got yeah. the, the approval and she said, Joni, I want you to broaden your horizons. This is what your dad always preached. Go broaden your horizons. I want you to go out there and see how big a world this is and how other people live. And she drove me down to San Francisco. I got on a plane, flew to New York City, got off. I was 16 and made my way to the hotel where everybody, all the kids were gathering together. We sailed out of- her. What's interesting is you didn't fight her. You respected oh, her. no. But my brother- I remember he took a globe that we had in our house. Yes. Because I was, I was like, where am I going? So here's where we went. We went from New York to Cadiz, Spain, to Lisbon, Portugal. Then we did, went down to Morocco. We went into Casablanca. We went by car to, to Marrakesh and all these different places. Then we went down the coast of Africa. We went to Dakar, Senegal, West Africa, down to Cape Town, around the, the Horn to Durban, up to Mombasa, Kenya. We got out, covered 1500 miles of Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda. Then we went to India, Bombay. Um, then we went to um, Singapore. We went to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. We went to Taiwan. We then came around, we went to Hong Kong 
and we went to Japan. We went to Southern Japan and then up to Northern Japan, Tokyo. And then back, we had our finals on the way to Hawaii. Remarkable. <laughs> and then came back into LA. And I got to tell you, my brother took a globe and showed me. I was like, where is, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't even know where some of these places were. We were supposed to go from Spain in through the Mediterranean and through the Suez Canal. But the eight day war was going on in the Suez Canal like and they closed the Suez Canal. And some of the kids dropped out because we weren't gonna go to Italy and all these fabulous places. But as it turns out, those are places you actually could go as an adult. We right. ended up going to Africa, which was way more fabulous. Of course. So that really had a tremendous influence on me. I didn't want to come back and just go to school in America. I came back and ended up going to school uh, in Mexico City, which I had heard about from another student, another you know student that was bit by the travel bug. And I went to Mexico City and went to a school called Universidad de las Americas. And I, I went for three months. I stayed for three years. Oh, I wow. loved it. And then I finally came back and finished up college. And uh, But it was... I think a great had a great deal to do with how I got hired on my first job. Of course. Because I'd been around the world and I knew how to speak Spanish. And so I think that's what made them say, oh, God, we got to hire this girl. <laughs> well, you know, credentials are everything in terms of making choices between people. And you really not unknowingly or unwittingly were most probably qualified person that they could ever see. Yeah. So I think really though that my mom always said to me, expect big things out of life. Like your name's going to be in stars. Her, one of her sayings was, hit your wagon to a star, sweetie pie. Because I think that giving positive affirmations to a child is so important because they grow up with a lot of self-doubts, especially as a woman. But I think that when you give a child a lot of positive affirmations, you can really kind of lock that into their head to expect a lot of themselves. And I think if there was like the most important lesson, that's probably what both my mom and my dad kind of set into my thinking in an indel indelible way. Well, you were blessed. I do believe that that was um, a, a journey that began with their kind of positive energy and you, yeah. you know, self-esteem is everything in this world. Yeah. You can't teach someone's self-esteem. You can teach them a fact, but you can't teach yeah. them a feeling. So I know that your journey has been extraordinary. And professionally, I loved hearing, you know, I've been to New Zealand and Australia and I loved hearing how you did a bungee yes. jump. From we did two weeks, Good Morning America, Down Under. We did a yes. week in uh, New Zealand and a week in Australia. In New Zealand, you know, I got to go and visit where my grandmother had been born in Melbourne. Yes. And then we went to the Southern Island, which, you know, we landed in on the Southern Island. Uh, and Tasmania? No, we went into, um, I'm trying to remember the name now all of a sudden, but it's where bungee jumping was started. Oh, well, and it started in New Zealand. It's, uh, I have a picture of me right up here on the wall, jumping off yes. of Skipper's <laughs> Cove. It's about 13, 14 stories high. Well, no fear? Was that because your father was a pilot? He was fearless? Maybe. I mean, we grew up flying all over. And I asked my mom one time, where did this come from? Like, and she said, are you kidding? You were jumping off of a bridge when you were like 14, 15 years old oh. you know, in the river. I said, oh, okay. But I, we went there and they let us go a couple, a, like a day early so we could assimilate mainly to the time, I think is what they were doing because you're on the other side of the clock. 
we got off and that whole area, that whole little town is like uh, whitewater rafting, uh, paraponting, bungee Extreme jumping. Sports. Extreme sports. It's is what unbelievable. It's and Charlie said, look at this place is like 10 ways you can kill yourself. That's and right. so I said, meet me tomorrow morning in the <laughs> lobby. So he met me the next morning in the lobby and we got a, a, a camera crew and we snuck out because if they would ever have heard what we were planning to do, they <laughs> never would have allowed us. Right. And we went um, this like white water rafting, but you're in a boat that spins around. It's crazy. I'm on that boat. Oh my God. And then we oh, went and jumped off the bridge. I didn't do and that. <laughs> I have to admit, I was the instigator of this whole thing. And I got out, you know, you're on this bridge and you climb through the middle of the bridge to get out on the edge where they built a little square of wood. And then they tie like a towel, like from the hotel around your, your ankles. And then they put the bungee thing on it. And when you first go in to sign up to do this, they say, do you want to be dipped? I was like, what do you mean dipped? Like, do you want to get your head wet? I said, I'll jump off the bridge, but don't get my hair wet. <laughs> God, no. But that does tell you how much they can uh, quantify that bungee rope that they can tell whether you're going to go just down to the water or whether you're going to go in. But then they said to everybody, all right, get on the scale. And all of the women looked at each other and said, what? <laughs> like, we'll jump off the bridge, but we're not getting on that scale. <laughs> right. I hear it. I and then the guy said, you have to get on the scale in order for us to calibrate the bungee cord. They said, look, it's, it's in, um, what is it? It's uh, not, not pounds, but, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah, whatever it is down there. And we all agree that nobody knew how to do that that measurement. We know yes, we could so not okay. figure out what that was in pounds. So they wrote it on the back of your hand, like in a like magic yes. marker. So when you got out of there on the bridge, they could calibrate the cord. And I was standing there and you have to like keep edging forward with your toes, you know, to get because they want you to get right out to the edge of that. And the guys keep saying to you, like, keep looking up, look up, don't look down. If you look down at the guy in the little boat who looks like he's about an inch big because you're up so high. And so I'm looking out. I finally, I was holding on to him. Like I had my hands holding on to his pants. Right. And I said, can't you just give me a little push? And he said, no, we're not allowed to push you. But if you keep holding on to me like that, I'll take you out to dinner tonight. <laughs> I, I finally went and like did like a swan dive. It was crazy. Uh, and then we went and got on this tram and went to the top of Bob's Peak. You mm -hmm. probably know where Bob's Peak is if you've been to, to New, Zealand. New Zealand. And you parapont, you like run and run off the edge of a mountain with this huge like long, long rectangle of a Kite like? It's like a big kite, yeah. yeah. And you just, and you can, ha you have two cords. You can tug on the right hand cord and you'll go off to the right or you'll go off to the left and you go all the way down and you end up uh, landing on like this football field of a school and it was really exciting but you're literally going right over the treetops when Charlie's wife found out that I had talked him into doing this like she was so mad at me for months <laughs> well he came out alive so you know but we had so much fun so I'd like to know, where do you get the time to write all the books you've written? And now I know you're coming out with a new book. Tell us about that. You know, I started writing books when I was, I was just turning 30. Well, I wrote a book actually when I, many, many years ago called Good Morning, I'm Joan London. And it was 
right after I went to Good Morning America and a publisher came to me and said, we want you to write this book. It was all about how I got into the business. But then I had had three daughters and I was turning 39. I hadn't really lost all the baby weight from all those girls. I made a decision one day that, you know what? I remember I saw a cover of like, maybe it was Cosmopolitan or Ladies Home Journal. And it had the three women from Charlie's Angels. Yes. And Farrah Fawcett. And yes. the, the, the title was Fit, Fabulous, and 40. Oh. And I thought, wow, I want to be that, Fit, Fabulous, and 40. I was turning 39. And I said, you got to like step it up if you're going to be that. And I literally took it on as like another job. I got a nutritionist to work with. I got a fitness trainer to work with. I lost a tremendous amount of weight, but it wasn't a matter of the weight I lost. I gained my energy level back. And you know, I, I, I was always saying at the time, oh my God, I, I'm so tired all the time running around. How can I work out? How could I possibly be more tired? I didn't realize that as I started working out, I was going to regain my energy, that I would be walking into that gym, like bouncing off the walls. And as you do that, and you kind of regain your fitness and your health and you feel better. And I wasn't as tired all the time. It's like, I, it was like a metamorphosis. And I was so excited about it that I wanted to share it with everybody. And I wrote my first real, my first book that I really wrote, which was healthy cooking. And I, the first two thirds of the book was all about this journey that I went on personally. And then it had a lot of recipes. And then that led me once you realize how much you can change about the outside of your body, I think that kind of begs the question, how much can you then go inside and change about the inside of your body? So mm -hmm. I wrote Healthy Living, which was all about lifestyle choices and managing stress and your attitude about life. We should make this into columns. I, I'm, I'm listening. I'm saying, wait, this could be a column. This could be a series. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I then went on to write Growing Up Healthy, which I wrote with a pediatric nutritionist about the, the lifestyle habits that we create in our children and how that can either protect them or set them up for chronic disease later in life. And remember, I always wanted to be a doctor. Like, you have to remember what was at the core of Joan London. Yes. Really, I didn't become a doctor, but he, I became a disseminator of information right. that helped people stay healthy. Yes. And even when I left Good Morning America, I wrote a book called A Bend in the Road is Not the End of the Road. And it was all about dealing with change. Well, how about change in terms of change of husbands? Yes. And I mean, I then wrote a book called Wake Up Calls about all the little things in life that can be your wake up calls. I always tell this story that I got married when I was 29 years old and I married a guy who was 39. We had three wonderful children. The girls are all now in their 30s and have kids of their own. It didn't work out though, and we divorced. And 20 years later, when I was 49, I got married again. Again, I married a guy who was 39. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, second, that second 39 year old worked out much better. <laughs> but you know, it. I gotta tell you something. If I hadn't made that, I had this aha moment, you know, when I saw that cover, turning 39 years old. And I remember we had somebody on the show on Good Morning America who was um, from the American Heart Association. 
And they had this little quiz that we were giving our viewers so they could assess their risk for cardiovascular disease. And as each question, I was like ticking them off and I was not enough sleep, too much weight, too much stress. Are you making the right food decisions? And I realized I am totally failing this test that we're giving our audience. That was probably really the catalyst for saying, come on, Joan, you got to do something about this. You want to be running in the races 20 years from now. If I hadn't done that, I don't think I would be married to the man I'm married to today. Interesting. I, I'm, I was a different, I came out of that journey, not just, you know, a couple sizes smaller. I came out a different person. I came out this energetic, full of life, loving life, energetic, like your mom, like your mom, fun person. And that's what is attractive. You know, I remember I actually was interviewing Farrah Fawcett one day. I, she was still on Charlie's Angels. That tells you how long ago it is. And I remember I said to her, what do you think it is about you? Even out of the three women, like what is it about you that just captured the, that made a whole nation be fascinated with you? And she immediately said, ah, it's my joie de vivre. Now I'm going to be honest with you here. Yes. I, didn't know, I didn't know what joie de vivre meant. So after the show, I went back to my office and I looked it up and it means love of life. Yes. And she was right. You know, my husband, of course, said, no, wasn't it? It was that red bathing suit on that poster. <laughs> but she was right. It was that effusiveness. You looked at her face and you saw this amazing positive energy, this smile coming across. It was the twinkle in her eye. You know, why do some athletes become, you know, the, the one that everyone's fascinated with? It's because of their personality, not because, you know, necessarily their skill set. And I was a different person when I came through that journey. And I think that's why when my husband walked into a deli one day and I, and I saw him and he saw me, I think that's what attracted, you know, me to him. This is a part of what it is about asking your advice on other people to be so successful. You're kind of leading me right into it. Well, you know what? You're right because you know, there, there's so many marriages that don't make it and so many women that have to start over for whatever reason, you know, and it's weird. I'm going to tell you dating when you're, you know, 45 years old, you feel like you're 15 again. Like, do I have the right outfit on? What should I <laughs> order to eat? Like, it's, you just feel so teenagery. But I think going through that process gave me the self-confidence so that when he walked into that restaurant that I flirted with him, you know, that I felt it was okay that I had, it was, it's all in your attitude. If, if you don't have that attitude that says opportunities are open to you and you can do this, then I probably wouldn't even have, you know, I probably would have shied away and not looked at him, but I was able to make that connection. And I got the most amazing life partner a woman could ever ask for oh, you know, how, in my husband. Oh my God. I mean, I just, you know, everybody was introducing me at the time to these like very successful rich guys. And I'd go to lunch with them. I think, oh my God, this is guy's so boring. I want somebody that wants to go play and yeah. And I got a guy that I wake up every morning and say, thank God I'm waking up next to him. And yes. that's, that's called, I'm not going to call it lucky because there was nothing lucky about it. It's because I took the, the effort and, and remade myself. You know, I was like, I came out of my cocoon 
of being a mom and having all these kids and then saying, okay, wait a second, I'm still out here in this world. Let's give it a go, a second round here. So I can't let you go without figuring out seven children. You have two sets of twins with the second husband, correct? Yes, we had two sets of twins. That with the career. Give us a, if there's could be a, a checklist of how you do that and advice you give to other women on how do you navigate that? I think that you have to be incredibly organized. I, when I was at GMA, I had this master calendar on my office desk and my home kitchen desk, you know, and with anything that any kid had to do, it had to be on this calendar. Plus I had my, my, all the travel and I knew where I was going to be. I was like super organized. Otherwise I think I could have like really gone off the deep end, but it's also prioritizing. And I remember I used to say to the, the people at GMA at Good Morning America, the executives, you know, one of the reasons we're on top is that I'm relatable because everybody out there knows that I'm dealing with diapers and, you know, getting up in the middle of the night and that's part of the attraction. But with that comes these three little ankle biters, you know? And so I am, can't do that that day because I need to be at the school play. And it worked out and I got to really hand it to ABC. They let me bring Jamie to work with me. I mean, she had her own little dressing room next to mine, baby Jamie. And I took her on trips with me. I had her with me when I covered the wedding of Prince Charles and Lady Diana. I mean, she was there in my room with the, the, the British nanny. But, and you know, only in retrospect do I now understand how much that affected working women across the country. You know, because when ABC made those made up these rules, these new rules as for a working woman that really changed corporations around the country and changed the way. I remember I used to have people write to me, women would write to me and say, thank you for staying on the air right up to the end with my big belly because you helped my husband or my boss realize that as your belly grows, your brain does not shrink. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, we truly can say Joan London is a power woman. And I thank you so much for sharing your experience. Uh the life and wonderful things you have been able to accomplish and are accomplishing now with your new book. Why did I come into the room? We all have to buy that book. And I want to thank you. This is Victoria Schnepps signing off and saying thank you from Schnepps Media. Bye now. Bye.